Amen. Hey, open up your Bibles to Judges 15. Judges 15. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, the seventh book of the Bible. And as we study the history of mankind, we see now that the children of Israel have been delivered from Egypt, amen, and have been brought into the promised land that God promised he'd give it to them. But as we've learned, it's been anything but easy. And I need you guys to lean into that as well. How many of you guys anticipated one day getting married? You were so excited to get married. You just wanted to get married and then you got married. Whoa, and it wasn't what you expected. Remember that? How many of you guys wanted kids? Let's have kids and you got the kids and the kids are there. Whoa, that wasn't what I expected. And it just goes on and on. You want the job, wasn't what you expected. You want to be in the ministry, wasn't what you expected. All these things. And now the children of Israel are in the promised land and they need deliverers. They need judges. And the judges aren't wearing black robes with a wooden hammer sitting behind the bench like Judge Wapner. No, these are warriors because we're in a war. There's a difficult thing going on. And God faithfully raises up men and women to lead the children of Israel during this time. We saw Ehud and Othniel and Barak and Deborah and, and Jair and Tola and Jephthah and Gideon and all the rest. We've learned so much. Now we're on the final and last judge, Sammy boy, Samson. Samson, and man, he is a train wreck. This guy deserves his own YouTube channel, man. He deserves to be banned again on YouTube. His life is nuts. And if you're a note taker, there's notes in the back of your Bible, you can, or in the back of your chair, you can title this chapter, Consequences of Poor Self-Management. How many of you guys know that you're in charge of yourself? How many of you guys know this? How many of you guys know that nobody else is in charge of you? Okay, nobody? Okay, we're in trouble. Let me just tell you, you're in charge of yourself. Nobody else can manage you. Sometimes we abdicate that responsibility. We look at our spouse. This is what Adam did. He blamed God. He blamed his wife. He blamed everyone but himself, but it was his own self-management issue that got him in trouble. And so too, you and I, we like to blame the government. We blame our parents and we blame our spouse. We blame our landlord and we blame our coach. We blame our boss. And listen, stop it. Only you can manage yourself. Only you can rise up. Listen, and I'm gonna use a term here over and over throughout the day. Only you can take your life and flip it from horizontal to vertical. Only you can make that decision daily and throughout every trial. I can't look at this horizontally. This is whack. This is all messed up. I need to make this vertical. I need a power of God for my situation right now. And when you and when I and when we decide to go from horizontal thinking, viewing and living to vertical living, we tap into the power of God to be different people. I got bad news. It would take Samson his whole life until the last day of his life for him to finally flip it from horizontal to vertical. We're not going to get there today. It's in chapter 16. He finally does do it. He does make it to the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, he's in there, noted with 16 other individuals. Man, God's grace is so good. Do you know how good God's grace is for you this morning? He looks at your train wreck life right now, all the situations, all the missed stops, all the missed opportunities. He says, hey, you have a pulse? Ah, good, we're not done yet. We're not done yet because your beginning isn't as fantastic as your ending. Your beginning does not matter as much as your ending matters. Matter of fact, Solomon says it this way in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter seven, verse eight. He says, the end of the matter is better than the beginning. 
That's what Solomon said. We're pretty good at beginning, aren't we? We want to put our first foot forward and first impressions and all that. Look, all that matters, but not as much as the ending. One poet actually said it this way. Great is the art of beginning, but greater is the art of ending. So where are you in your journey? Are you at the beginning? Beginning of a marriage, beginning of retirement, beginning of a new season, beginning of ministry, beginning, are you at the beginning? You're excited, you have hopes and dreams, and you're starting to realize that those might be challenged on day two. Or where are you? Maybe you're in the middle, the weary, lonely middle, the middle of your ministry, the middle of your marriage, the middle of your singleness. You're in the middle. Don't grow weary in the middle. Maybe you're at the end. Maybe you're in the fourth quarter of your life. You need to embrace this and realize this. Maybe you're the sage season. And God says, don't stop yet. Don't quit until the whistle blows. You ever heard a coach say this to their athletes? You don't quit on the play until the whistle blows. And if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And what we need to do is learn from Samson. By the way, if you want to destroy your life, here's three things to do well. Just write this down. If you want to destroy your life and not be successful and not have influence, uh, number one, uh, don't have any accountability in your life. Just blow it off. No accountability to your peers. Don't be accountable to your coaches or to your parents or to your supervisors. Don't do it. You be the highest authority in your life and you'll for sure ruin everything for you. Just don't listen to anybody. Don't respect your peers. Don't set up systems of accountability. Number two, if you want to blow your life uh, apart and not be successful, don't pursue purity. Don't worry about it. Just do what the world does. Don't do it as bad as the world does it, just a little less, but be worldly. It's fine. It's not going to hurt you in the long run. It's okay to just follow your base impulses and do whatever you want. As a matter of fact, just do you. Get a little crazy, okay? And you for sure will ruin your life. Just kind of write that down. Don't pursue purity. Lastly, if you want to make sure that your ending is far worse than your beginning, uh, just make sure and ignore your devotion to the Lord. Don't pray anymore. Stop praying. That's crazy. Don't read your Bible. Give that up. Don't go to church. Don't fellowship. Don't serve. Don't repent. Don't humble yourself. Don't live in fellowship. Don't do any of these things. And your devotion to the Lord will grow strangely cold and you'll for sure ruin your life. Okay, so write those things down if that's what you want to do. We learned that from Sammy Boy. He did not have devotion to the Lord. That's so scary. He was, he was, a, he was a powerful dude and he knew it. And it got a hold of him and his life was only horizontal. He never stopped, never built an altar, never hit his knees in confession of sin, in desperation. We are going to see him pray today if I ever get to the text. He's going to pray one prayer today. He's going to say to the Lord, oh, I'm thirsty. Give me some Gatorade. What? And the Lord's going to rebuke him. It's actually kind of a cool story. We're going to see that today. But what I want to do is I want to make sure that I'm setting up accountability structures for who I am in my marriage and in my parenting and in my leadership, in my relationship with God and my peers. I don't want to blow it. I also want to make sure that I'm pursuing purity. The Bible's pretty clear on the things that are right and the things that are wrong. And when I make margins for myself and compromises for myself and justifications, every single time it burns me. Does it not burn you? Every single time. The Lord says, don't do it anymore. Instead, just have a passion for purity. And I promise you, I will increase your power. And also, I want to make sure that my devotion to the Lord is ever increasing. Remember that church in Revelation where Jesus said, you guys are banging hard. How many services do you guys have at your church now? Why, you guys have a hoodie ministry? That's incredible. You just bought land. Whoa, so cool. Remember that? Revelation chapter 3. 
And then Jesus said to that church, he said to that church, but hey, I want you to repent and do the former things. Return to your first love. I kind of miss you. You're doing real good, but let's fellowship. This is what the Lord's speaking to Luke Frechette. Now 22 years into my marriage, 23 years into being a pastor. The Lord's saying, remember when you used to seek me? Remember how early you got up? Remember how much word you read in the beginning? Remember that, Luke? Would you do that again? Don't grow weary in well-doing. Well, we're learning all these things from our main guy, Sammy Boy, and we find ourselves now in chapter 15, verse one. I asked you a question though. Where are you in your journey? Are you at the beginning, in the middle, are you at the end? We're gonna learn some things from Samson, and the simplest thing I would tell you today is to take all of your relationships and take them from horizontal to vertical. What that means is that you're no longer living and looking this way, but you're going to Jesus and asking God for a greater power source to be the person he's called you to be and to live with the people he's called you to live with and letting him touch you and letting him minister to you in ways that you could never do for yourself. By the way, Samson does not do these things, nor do any of the people in our story today. So let's now study somebody else's train wreck and see what we can learn from it. You guys ready? Look at verse one. Let's stop right there, eyes up here, actually. You guys remember that Samson just left his wedding day. He decided to marry a Philistine lady and things went weird at his ceremony. And he ended up killing 30 guys and taking their clothes and throwing them at his best men and groomsmen and kind of ruined the whole wedding. You ever been to a wedding like this before? It just gets weird at the end, you know? People have too many drinks and clothes start flying and blood starts flowing. You ever been to one of these before? We live in Lincoln County, it's okay, it's okay. This is crazy! And he leaves in a heap of fury. And as he does so, the father of the bride, this other Philistine guy, doesn't know what to do. So he takes his poor old bride and he gives her away to the best man. He said, I had to pay for this whole wedding. I'm not going to waste a good wedding. You're married to him now. Let's go back to work, you know. Just all messed up. Jerry Springer, volume one. Now, some time has passed. And Samson is legally married. He hasn't consummated the marriage, kind of misses his wife and what could have been. He went home to his parents. And after a while, after he calmed down, he's like, maybe I overreacted. You ever overreact a little bit sometimes? And maybe I shouldn't have killed 30 guys, you know? And maybe I shouldn't have left all fired up. And, you know, maybe I should go apologize. Let's go ahead and see how his apology works. Look at verse 1 of 15. After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, hey, let me go into my wife, into her room. He's a real romantic type. But her father would not permit him to go in. And her father said, man, I really thought you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Hey, I got an idea. Isn't her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. Again, Jerry Springer is taking notes as we speak. What is this dad up to? Can you imagine his poor old daughters like that? I'm right here. I can't believe you just said that. Isn't the younger better than the older? Take her. She's great. Samson's hearing all of this, and he's got a young goat in his hands to give to his bride, his scorned wife. It reminds me of when you're at the grocery store and you see those guys kind of buying the cheap flowers from time to time. You know, I always wonder when I see the guys buying the cheap flowers, are they in love with somebody or are they in trouble? And I can kind of look at them like, you're in trouble, you know? <laughs> they're usually in trouble. If they get the nice flowers, they're at Newport Flores, but they're, you know, the cheap flowers, they're, they're in trouble. And you know they're really in trouble if they got the cheap flowers and then they go to Mini Pet Mart and get a young goat like Sammy Boy. You know they blew it bad. And Samson's like, oh, I don't want to show up empty-handed, you know? And so he brings a young goat and he goes right to the dad. He's like, where's the room? I got to figure it out. You know, it's like, Samson, calm down. Poor guy, out of control. 
And he's doing these things because, again, he's on a horizontal mindset. And let me just say this. I'll say this a number of times today, too, in our text. You can't make something right by doing something wrong to then make it right. This is huge. Two wrongs don't make a right. When somebody does wrong in order to make it right, sometimes we're tempted to do another wrong. Well, if they did that, then I'm going to do this. And this is exercised and exemplified in this text over and over and over and over. Samson does it. His father-in-law does it. The people of the Philistines do it. The children of Israel do it. This is human nature. You did that to me? Well, I can go ahead and up the ante a little bit and do it to you. And Jesus comes on the scene though and says something totally different in Matthew chapter five. He says this, hey, 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 don't do what others do to you, but instead, as you want others to do to you, do to them. Samson had a rule of life. You did this to me, I'm gonna do it to you even worse. I'm gonna take it on. Jesus said, no, if you want your relationships to be healed, if you truly do, it's up to you. If you just wanna win, if you just wanna be in control, well then yeah, for sure, to make something right, you'll probably do a wrong to make it right. But if you truly take the lower route and say, I just want to do it the vertical way, the Jesus way, even though they don't deserve it. Jesus said, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. This is the golden rule, the rule that works every single time. There's an interesting verse in the Proverbs that says, when your enemy's fire goes out, when your enemy is cold, when your enemy is struggling, what you're supposed to do, the Proverbs says, is to take heaps of coals and put them on top of their head. When I used to read that as a young person, I was like, yeah, let's kill them. Get them. And then I read some commentaries. They said, no, no, what that means in the ancient days is if your enemy, if their fire went out, they would take a bowl, a clay bowl, put it on their head, and they would walk a mile to your house, knock on your door in humility, and say, my fire went out. And then you would go to your fire, and you would take a bunch of coals, and you would heap them on top of their head, thus starting their fire once again. They would go back. Fire was very scarce in those days. They didn't have big lighters or blow torches, and they would go home to their house with some fresh coals, and their lives would be changed. How radical would it be if we, like Jesus, looked at those who've hurt us and scorned us and offended us, and instead of bristling a little bit and packing our gospel gun and our defense mechanisms and all the rest, said, you know what? I'm going to serve this person. I'm going to love them. Why? Because, well, because Jesus said to. And maybe they're hurt right now. Maybe their fire's gone out. Maybe that's why they're so prickly and bristly. Maybe there's, have you realized that everyone that you're fighting with and in opposition towards right now is also struggling with so many things in their life? Everybody is in a battle right now. And the Lord says, let's not attack each other. Let's not attack one another. And so if you are in this same situation where wrong has been done to you, don't do wrong back in order to settle the score. Look what Samson says to his father-in-law, verse three. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. And then Samson went and caught 300 foxes or jackals. And he took torches and turned the fox tails to tail to tail. And he put torches between each pair of the tails. And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. Stop right there, eyes up here. What? Have you ever sent an email off you regretted later? You ever sent a text off? You're like, nah, I probably shouldn't have said that. You ever said something out of your mouth in defense or retaliation or reaction? You're like, eh, hopefully that didn't start a fire with that person. 
Samson looks at his father-in-law and immediately is justified in what he's about to do. And then he goes cray cray, he goes nuts. He's unhinged at this point. He kind of reminds me of the Joker a little bit. You know the Joker in Batman, he's kind of crazy. Like his riddle before was kind of immature and silly at the wedding feast. And he's kind of just got a very immature mindset. And now in order to get back, he's like, I know, I've got a great idea. I'll gather 300 foxes or jackals and tie their tails together. Where did this idea even come from? I'm going to put fire in between them and we'll just see what happens. Now, if you would have just taken one animal and lit it on fire, it probably would have just ran into its den and not caused chaos and havoc. So he ties them together. We don't know a lot about this story. It's just crazy. Did he have helpers? How many days did it take him to mobilize these 300 animals? I don't know, but I do know this. He probably should have just went home and took a nap. You know what I'm saying? You ever so fired up? You're like, oh, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Don't give anybody a piece of your mind. You need all that you can keep. You know what I'm saying? Don't do it. No, I'm going to share it with you. Don't do it. I have learned in my life when things are chaotic or stressful, full of trauma, disappointment, don't make any big decisions. Don't, don't send emails. Don't send texts. When things are hot and heavy, to say the best of your ability, just chill. Just chill. I, I give people this advice all the time. They just lost their job or just got diagnosed or just had a fight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this radical thing. Like, Don't do anything radical. Give it a day or two or a week or three. Pray and just let it settle and your mind will clear. It may even resolve in ways that you could have never perceived. Not Samson. Samson is hot-headed. He's unruly, no accountability, violent. He's just like the Joker. He's crazy and unhinged. And so what he does here is going to cause much damage to the people around him. By the way, the Lord used all of this in Samson's life. This is God's grace. He used all of this, all of the chinks, all of the blemishes, all of the mistakes to cause the Philistines around Samson during that time to, in a sense, be oppressed. They were irritated. The Philistines never truly took over the children of Israel because God told Samson, I'm going to use you to begin to deliver Israel. Now I say this, I'm walking a fine line here. God redeems even our bad days. Amen. He redeems them for good. Only God can do this. But our bad days often cost us so much. Our bad attitudes, our bad actions, they cost us. God's so good. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and who are the called and don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Romans 8, chapter 1. Romans 8, verse 1. And it goes on in Romans 8, 28 to say God redeems all things and, and he matures us. So, so cool that God is the God of redemption. But that doesn't give us the right or the freedom to be careless or to even personalize some of the issues in our life. You guys, I'm gonna say this, and hopefully you're listening, those who need to hear this. Samson was called to be a judge and a leader of the people. But instead of leading and judging the people well, he was having his own personal holy wars. It was all, everything Samson did was for his own personal gain at this point in his life. He's now gonna fight the Philistines, amen. All of these crops and all this stuff, that's a good thing. When he killed the 30 bad guys, those were bad guys that should have been taken out. That's just the Old Testament, that's how it should have been. But it was all personal in nature. You know, we need to be careful, especially in our Christianity, that when we read the scriptures and see what Jesus calls us to do, that we're not doing it for personal gain, for personal favor, for personal comfort, for our reputation, 
for our own platform or power. This is to ministry leaders or coaches or moms or dads or stewards or volunteers or deacons or ushers or elders or Sunday school teachers or coaches because it's gonna get Samson in trouble. Now, speaking out of both sides of my mouth, what God inspired and allowed Samson to do would be redeemed. The Philistines would be oppressed and they would be pushed back just a little bit, but it came with great cost to Samson because once again, Samson's doing something wrong to make everything right. I'm just gonna go do this now. I'm gonna go take care of this and God has a way of redeeming, but let's be very, very careful that we don't again continue to go horizontal. He's using wild animals to terrorize the locals. And it's just crazy at this point. Look at verse six. It says, then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to her compa- his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Stop right there, eyes up here. What in the Jerry Springer is going on? Now all of a sudden, the Philistines see their crops are on fire. The olive groves are burning and the shocks and the stocks, whatever that is, those are burning too. And they run over to the people. They say, who did this? And they throw Samson under the bus and they say, Samson did it because the Timnite gave his wife to his best man. And so the Philistines go to the father-in-law and the woman and they burn her house with fire and kill her and her dad. Stop right there, eyes up here. Do you guys remember in the last chapter when her brothers came to her and said, if you don't betray your husband, Samson, and get the riddle for us, we're gonna burn your father's house and you with fire. Do you guys remember that? And she was afraid of getting burned with fire. And so she betrayed her husband and got him to talk and then gave the riddle to her brothers and preserved her life for a second. How did she do that? By doing the wrong thing to make something right. And she betrayed her husband. And I don't even know this gal, man. She's all caught up in this and it's Samson's fault. But she's now betraying her husband to preserve her and her family. But in the end, what comes back on her? Fire and death. And we just continue to see this crazy cycle repeated. That when someone does you wrong and puts you in a tough spot, don't react by doing wrong to make it right. It will never work. But instead, the Lord says, no, no, you do the right thing now. They've done the wrong thing, Jesus. This is unfair. This is unjust. This is wrong. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? What did Jesus do when we hurt him on the cross of Calvary? He looked at the ones who were putting him on the cross with spears and nails and clubs and whips. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And the very next thing out of his mouth was, today you'll be with me in paradise as he was forgiving, setting people free. Well, all of this is the Old Testament. It's all very, very gross. People are dying. People are going crazy. They're not flipping it horizontal. They're not flipping it vertical. They're keeping it horizontal where things get messed up. Well, we're not done with the carnival yet. Uh, Turn on the carnival music. We're still on the Ferris wheel. Look at verse seven. Uh, Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you. And after that, I will cease. Stop right there, eyes up here. Watch you read the next verse. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And then he went down and he dwelt in the cleft of the rock at Edom. Stop right there. Man, something was eating him up, that's for sure. And he's in the cleft of the rock now after he takes out a bunch of Philistines hip and thigh. This would have been an idiom back then where he just put a beat down on everybody. No explanation, no numbers, no details are given, but it was a bloodbath. 
Notice his logic in verse 7 once again, though. Look at what Samson says. Everyone's doing a wrong to make a right. This is just the cycle's going crazy. Now it's Samson's turn. The deck has been shuffled to him, and he says it. He justifies it so beautifully. Samson said, hey, since you would do this thing, well, I will surely take revenge on you. And then he says the classic mistake. And then I'll cease. See, this is what we think. Well, I just want to get the final word, and then everything will be fine. And I'll be done, and you'll be done, and we'll all be done, and we'll sing Kumbaya. It'll be great. Trust me. And then he goes and kills a bunch of people, hip and thigh. I don't even know what that means. And we logically just kind of make this carnal assessment. Well, I just want to make sure that I'm heard. I want to make sure that I'm validated. I want to make sure that they're corrected because they're way off right now. We take the position of the judge, which we ought not to take. And they've done wrong, and we're going to write the scales right now. And then we'll cease. I promise. I promise. I promise. This will be good. What? That's not the way. And we're deceived in this thinking. And it gets us in trouble and we often get sucked into more betrayal, more burning, more death. And you can't have it this way. Relationships have to go vertical. As a matter of fact, if you're in a relationship right now that seems to be in a crazy cycle, things are just going back and forth and people are one-upping each other and saying one more thing and there's division and separation and there's a burning and a betrayal, can I just encourage you to stop the crazy cycle and instead turn to Luke chapter 17. Turn, you don't do it right now, but turn to Luke 17 in your life because Jesus gave us the ways of relationships. He said, hey, in this world, it's impossible for you to be without offense. You're gonna be offended and you're gonna be offensive. It's just the way it is. So when you're offended, rebuke a person, which means to talk about it, to deal with it, to not put it under the rug, to not walk away, to not pretend, to not minimize, but to in love and humility, can we talk, babe? To, to your spouse? Can we talk, friend, to your coworker? Can we talk? And then when you're talking in that rebuke, to then when the truth is brought up, you know what you do next? You repent. That's what Jesus said. Just repent. Think differently. Ask for forgiveness. Expose it. Don't minimize it. Don't justify it. Don't shame shift. Don't blame share. Own it. And then the third component, forgive. Forgive him. Forgive him. But, but Jesus, I don't know if you know all the details. Oh no, he knows all the details. But I've got a whole record of wrongs I'd like to expose to Jesus. He said, no, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Well, I know, but have you noticed this? No, Jesus says, I've forgiven them as I've forgiven you. The handwriting of requirements against them has been blotted out with blood. I don't know what you're talking about. The only way Jesus can have fellowship with you and with me is if he's taken all of our wrongs and said, how about I pay for all that junk? Because I just want to love you. We're not quite there yet. We want to love the people around us. But in between us is this record of wrongs. All of these things, offenses that we've been very noticeable of and, and mindful of. Jesus says, you got you to gotta forgive that stuff. Forgive that stuff. Oh, oh, and by the way, the fourth component, rebuke, repent, forgive. And what's the fourth one starts with R and rhymes with E-peat? Repeat. How many times we got to do this, Jesus? Well, I don't know. How many days you plan on living? Every single day for the rest of your life. Jesus said, if it happens once in the morning, do it. If it happens later on that morning, do it again. If it happens in the afternoon, do it again. If it happens later on that evening, you guessed it, do it again. Remember the disciples' response to this teaching? They immediately said, Lord, increase our faith. You know what I'm saying? They're like, uh, can we get some help with this? We're gonna need some help. Won't you be the first one to do it? Be the first one to flip your relationship vertical. You be the first one to repent. You be the first one to forgive. 
You be the first one to bring it up. Let's repeat this. Let's do it. There's no other way. Don't be surprised at the offenses, situation that's going on in your life, your coworkers, your spouse, your ex-spouse, kids, your neighbors. Jesus has asked us to be in the world as light and salt, as those who minister unconditional love and favor. We're like ambassadors in a foreign country. Can you imagine being an American ambassador in a foreign country? What a responsibility that would be living in Germany or living in Sweden somewhere. You're living there like, oh, I'm an, I'm an ambassador of America. This is so crazy. I hear speak on behalf of America. You are an ambassador of heaven. You're down here on earth representing Jesus Christ in heaven. Not by might nor by power, but by the spirit, says the Lord. You can do it. It's Thanksgiving week. Some of you guys are going to have some people over and you're excited to, to burn them. Oh man, I can't wait for that person to come over. I'm going to give them the dark meat. That's what I'm going to do to that person. Over. And I'm going to give them some raw turkey. I'm going to plan, you know, whatever, you know. Giving you guys ideas now, so just keep moving. Samson has this crazy idea in verse 7, and he says, I will surely take revenge on you. After that, I will cease. And he attacked them. Notice he ends them up in a rock, in a hard place. He finds himself in a cave all alone. And this is exactly what vengeance and personal retaliation horizontal relationships look like and it puts him in a cave it's all messed up remember this that personal vengeance and not national leadership has led him to this place when i'm more concerned about my personal comfort my reputation what people think of me and what i'm getting out of the deal when that's what's concerning me oh man you two are going to find yourself isolated and in a cave alone from people. It's just the way it is. You and I have to every single day get over ourselves, get over our, even our holy wars, things that you say, oh, this is very, very important and I'm gonna go tell them what I think and I'm gonna do it in this way and, and then I'll cease is our lot. Don't do it. And I would even just ask you this question right now. This is for you and you alone to answer. How are your relationships? Do you feel like you're in a cave? Do you feel isolated? Do you feel somewhat justified, but you're still looking around going, well, this sucks. I'm, I think I might've won the battle, but I'm losing the war. And God says, no, this is not how it's supposed to be. Recently, I was in a meeting with some young people and kind of going through some current events. And I was talking with these young people about this holy indignation, because our world's gone crazy, hasn't it? And there's something within each one of us that can see the wrong in other people. I mean, everyone's doing wrong here, so what's it? Well, Samson, they killed his wife and their, his father-in-law. Shouldn't he have hip and thigh violence against him? I understand his reaction. And when you look at the world around you, don't you just kind of just get mad? Don't you just kind of, oh, I can't believe this. And the issues of our day are offensive to the Lord. The way that the world calls wrong good and, and good evil. There is a prediction in the Bible that says, oh yeah, that's the end days, by the way when people justify all kinds of things that are evil and sinful. And our world right now is promoting immoral relationships and saying that homosexuality and transgenderism and abortion, all these things are celebrated and protected and promoted and elevated in our culture. And yet if you watch and study the scriptures, you'll find that those things are not to be elevated and promoted. Those things are to be rejected and repented over. 
And yet here's what happens in our hearts. Don't we just get kind of fired up? And I was talking to these young people about this desire to, yeah, let's, let's go against these people and let's, let's fight them. Listen, this is exactly what Jonah wanted to do. Remember Jonah was contracted by God to go to the Ninevites. He's like, I don't want to go to the Ninevites. The Ninevites are terrible. And what did the Lord want to do? He wanted to save the Ninevites. Remember Jesus when he wanted to go to Samaria and rent that Hotel Six room there? They didn't have any room. And, the, and, and, and St. John and James came back and they said, they wouldn't rent us any rooms. They found out it was for you, Jesus. And man, hey, we got an idea. Would you give us the power to go back to Samaria and call fire down on everyone and kill them all? And Jesus like, come again? In my name, you want to do that? What? And he changed their name. Sons of Thunder. They were just so mad. Like, oh, we'll kill everybody. And Jesus was like, come over here. Let's go hang out and take communion right now. Come with me. Even on the night of Jesus' betrayal and arrest, Peter took his sword out and tried to kill the high priest and took out Malchus's ear. And Jesus said, Peter, put the sword away, bro. What are you doing? Have you not been with me for three years? You, don't, you missed everything? Listen, it has to go from horizontal reasoning to vertical. We have to have a bigger picture when we're ministering and dealing with people who have offended us and things are going wrong, especially in our world. We're ambassadors of Jesus. Listen, you're not an ambassador of your own holy war. You're not an ambassador of your own personal comfort or reputation. And this is again, maybe it's just for, for me, where the Lord's speaking to leaders and people who, hey, I want you to be in the fight, but be very careful. Be very careful, represent me well. Because if it's just about your beliefs or your reputation or your comfort, you're probably gonna hurt people in the midst. Let's keep studying here. Verse nine, it keeps getting crazier. Now the Philistines, these are the ones who just got killed, hip and thigh. Samson's hanging out in the rock of isolation, all messed up and bummed out. And the Philistines, verse nine, they went in and camped in Judah and they deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah, that's the children of Israel. By the way, that's the children of Israel that Samson is supposed to be leading. They're now under attack. It says that they came up against us. And verse 10 says, and the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? So they answer, we've come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he's done to us more wrongs trying to make things right. And now Judah's involved, Lehi's involved. Because this is the nature of sin, by the way. The nature of retaliation and unrighteous judgment is you can't contain it. It impacts the whole group. It impacts the whole church. It impacts the whole tribe. Now Judah's in trouble and they wonder what's going on. And they say to the men of Lehi, we're here to get Sammy boy. Look what happens in verse 11. Then 3,000 men of Judah, they went down to the cleft of the rock at Edom. And they said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I've done to them. What in the world? Samson's standing in this rock like a little two-year-old wearing a diaper, arguing with the people. I did to them what they did to me. You know, you ever seen this argument between siblings? He hit me, I hit him back, I'm justified. And they asked Samson, why are you doing this? And he explains it in this immature, rebellious way. Stop right there, I up here though. I wanna point out some obvious painful situations here. Notice the people's mentality. These are the people of God living in the promised land of God. And they go to Samson, they say, Samson, don't you know that the Philistines rule over us? Is that true or untrue? It's untrue. God ruled over them. Samson was their leader. And let's give them both a, a low grade. Samson was a horrible leader. He was running his own personal holy war. Every time he mobilized an attack, it was just to justify his own comfort in his own position. 
He never inspired the people. He never organized the people. He never led the people. He never mobilized them. Matter of fact, the only time in his leadership that we see the children of Israel mobilize an army is against their leader. Oh, what a low score for him, the leader, but what a low score for the people as well that they weren't willing to follow God as their main leader. Listen, the people had become comfortable and compromised. They said, you know, it's not that bad being under the Philistine rule. It's not that bad. Let's just go ahead and not rock the bow. We don't want to fight back. We don't want to be inspired. We don't want to be influenced. We don't want to grow in the things of God. We just want to chill out and let the Philistines rule over us. Both of them, there's so many lessons to learn here on either side of the coin, whether you're a leader influencing people and being held accountable in that way. Maybe you're a coach or a mom or a dad or a Bible teacher or a life group leader or, or some other person in the community our job is to lead others and to lead them well but maybe you're maybe you're a follower maybe there's things that right now God's asked you to do like well until my leader gets their act together I'm just going to kind of chill out a little bit I'm not going to be above reproach I'm not going to be excited I'm not going to be mobilized matter of fact I'll attack my leader no problem whatsoever careful careful whatever side of the coin you're on so many you could do a whole leadership study on this in the church and in our own lives well Samson fires back and fights back with them Look at verse 12. But they said to him, look, we've come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hands of the Philistines. And then Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. And so they spoke to him saying that, they said, no, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And when, stop right there, eyes up here. You guys see what's going on? Now you have to decide yourself what Samson is thinking. We're going to see the spirit of the Lord come upon Samson mightily in deliverance. Was Samson actually giving up? Hey, hey, I'm sorry that all this is messed up. I surrender. Go ahead. You know, time, ooh, time me up. You know, maybe, I don't know. I do know this. Had Samson run and fled and gone away, those 3,000 men would have been attacked by the Philistines. Had Samson fought those 3,000 men, his brethren, they would have suffered in that attack time. Had Samson retaliated against the Philistines, the Philistines would have came against the children of Israel. The only way out of this was for Samson to surrender. And I want to give him at least a star right here. I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he was humbled in this moment. I don't know. Maybe he saw the Lord, the Lord whispered to him, give up, bro. Surrender all. Don't run. Don't fight. Don't retaliate. You just surrender. Because when you surrender, the Holy Spirit then can use you to do the next right thing. And he surrendered. And he was wrapped in ropes and bound. In a way, this foreshadows our Savior, Jesus Christ, who when he was on planet Earth also could have just ran. He would have been just fine doing that. He could have attacked his people. That would have been justified. He could have attacked the Romans. That would have been okay. But Jesus said, I'm going to deliver them a different way. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to take the low spot. I'm going to humble them. This takes so much faith and courage because right now you're in a battle with some people around you. Like, I don't want to surrender. I'm not going to surrender. They don't deserve it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give them what they deserve. It's more foxes lit on fire. That's what I'm going to do. Sammy boy here, he did the next right thing. And you know what God did? Look at verse 14. It says, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. And then the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that has burned with fire. And his bonds broke loose from his hands. Stop right there, eyes up here. You might imagine that Samson, when he heard the Philistines yelling, flexed his muscles and ripped the ropes apart, but that's not what it says. It says that he looked down on his ropes and they melted as if they were burned with fire. Just fell off his arms. Whoa. 
And he looked up, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he was able to then lead powerfully. How? Through surrender. Through surrender. Lord, I'm in trouble. Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, I've done wrong. Lord, things are stacked against me. Listen, friends, the only way moving forward in complete healing horizontally is to flip your relationships vertical and to surrender. Don't justify. Don't make excuses. Surrender and to repent and to trust the Lord. And the Holy Spirit came upon him. This is mentioned throughout the scriptures and it's specified in the book of Judges that when the leaders of the children of Israel are used, it's always by the power of the Spirit of God. Okay, let me just remind you, you can't do anything apart from Christ. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It's the power of God in your life right now. Not the power of you, not the power of your disciplines, not the power of your holy war or your righteousness or your reputation or all the things that you have. It is in surrender. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. Let me say this, please listen. If you don't know about the power of the Holy Spirit in your life right now, you're a Christian, but you don't know about the power of the Holy Spirit, may God impart to you a thirst and a desire for the things of God right now. And may he plague you in the night seasons and may he wake you at all times of the day and say, do not talk to this person apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not go into that meeting apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not attempt to fight and resist sin and temptation apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord wake up his church and fill us with his power. Jesus said in John chapter 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come after me and I will fill him with living water. And when he said this on the final day of the great feast, Luke tells us, John tells us that he said this speaking of the power of the Holy Spirit that one day would be given. Guys, there's no way for you to live your life or to do the things you're doing without the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you have the power, of the, it's a free gift. You have not because you ask not. If you need it, ask for it. How many times do I need to be filled? Well, it's just like Baja Blast at Taco Bell. As soon as you run out, go get some more. Free refills on the house, man. Drink as much as you can. Holy Spirit, let's finish the chapter. Oh no, we're out of time. Paul, get up here. Verse 15, and he found a fresh jawbone. Come on up, Paul, of a donkey. And he reached out his hand and he took it and he killed a thousand men. And then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone with his hand and he called the place Ramoth Lehi, which literally means jawbone heights. <laughs> Thousands of men. Can you imagine the scene? He finds a jawbone of a donkey and he slays a thousand men. That would be crazy with any weapon at all, but especially with the brand new jawbone of a donkey, like brass knuckles. I'm not sure how he used this thing, man. And when he was done, he was proud of himself. Yeah, jawbone heights. There's bodies stacked everywhere. Listen what happens next though, friends. Lean in, don't miss this. And so it was when he had finished speaking, he threw the jawbone from his hand and he named it jawbone heights. Verse 18, and then he became very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and he said, you've given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? And so God split the hollow place that is in Lehi and water came out and he drank and his spirit returned and he revived. And therefore he called its name En Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day, which means 
the well of the caller, the spring of him who called. Do you guys see this? He surrendered himself and was given a great victory, a miraculous victory with what? A jawbone of a donkey, not the best weapon of choice. But listen, it's all he had. It's all he had. Sometimes we get flustered because we don't have enough. Sometimes we get overwhelmed because we don't have enough knowledge or wisdom or our age isn't correct or we're too old or we're too young or we're too messed up. And the Lord says, too messed up for what? Well, for me to be successful, for me to figure it out. He says, what do you have? Well, I got a job on a donkey. Perfect. Moses had a stick. Perfect. David had a stone against a giant. Perfect. Peter had a boat. Perfect. Paul had an apron he put on when he made tents. Perfect. What do you have? What has God given you? <laughs> Not, nothing. My hands are empty. Even better. Even better. And God will use you powerfully in spite of you for his glory and for others' good. And a great victory was given. But even in the midst of that great victory that was given, Samson misunderstood it and he named it Jawbone Heights, man. A gated community. Isn't this so cool? And then immediately, listen, in your mind's eye, imagine, ah, jawbone heights. And right then, oh, he's crippled with cotton mouth. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm so thirsty. If I don't get something to drink right now, I'm going to die instantly. Listen, his triumph is immediately tested with a trial because the Lord loved him so much. He brought him down just a little bit that he wouldn't call it Jawbone Heights and pretty cool shirts, jawboneheights.com and, you know, Samson, all these followers on Instagram. It wasn't about Samson. Instead, he was instantly met with this mortality. I'm going to die. I got nothing. And he cried out to the Lord. He cried out for water. And the Lord opened up the water for him and he was revived. And he changed the name of it. So let's change the name. Jawbone Heights. That's a little bit crazy. A little bit crazy. It was kind of cool, but it's a little bit crazy. Let's, let's change it to the well of the caller. Let's change it to the spring of life that came to the person who realized, I can't do it. I can't do it. God will bring you down with just a little bit of thirst. On purpose, the Lord will challenge your victories you're walking in right now. Maybe you got a promotion at work. Maybe you're freshly married. Maybe things are, things are cool. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, that's kind of hard. I didn't see that coming. The Lord says, yeah, I know. I want you to remain thirsty. I want you to remain thirsty. And I want you to cry out to me daily. I want you to receive from me. I want you to come to the altar. I want you to come to the spot where the blessings come out. I do not want to lose you in the midst of your success, in the midst of your holy war, in the midst of your rebellion. So I will give you a divine thirst. You're going to get cotton mouth that's intended to crumble you, that's intended to humble you, that you might become a different person. I'm going to ask everyone to stand up right now. We're going to sing this song. Hey, during this song right now, if you're at that point in your life where you're crumbling and you believe that God's humbling you and you're at a point in your life right now where you need to call out to the Lord and ask him to fill you with fresh water, to come to the altar, to be changed and renewed right now in your marriage, right now in your singleness, in your battle. Maybe it's a secret sin. Maybe it's a thing that you're fighting on the front lines. Maybe it's a thing you're fighting in the back. Right now, I'm gonna encourage you, humble yourself and come down the altar right now down the aisles, leave your chair, and come to the altar with me. I'd love to pray for you during this time. If you need fresh water, you need fresh spirit, you need fresh manna, 
You just need a healing. Humble yourself right now. If you sense at all that the Lord is ministering to you, saying, don't miss this opportunity. Humble yourself. Maybe you're on staff here at South Beach Church. Maybe you're in leadership position. Maybe you've been in a leadership position. Maybe it would be embarrassing for you to get out of your chair and come down the aisle to the front. That's the time to do it right now and let the Lord overwhelm you with his goodness, that he would change your name once again. And you would say the well of the caller. I cried out to you, Jesus, that you filled me with your Holy Spirit. And may the Lord do that right now as we sing this song. Make your way to the front. I'll be down there praying for people. Let's sing together and let the Lord fill us in Jesus' name. Amen.